In this brief essay, we will try to dissect the fundamentally flawed nature of alternative digital currencies. Observe Bitcoin as a pragmatic monetary evolution, in contrast to shitcoinery's quote, technology revolution narratives, and will attempt to demonstrate that Bitcoin is not only the only genuine possibility of divorcing money from the state, but that this paradigm shift is already quite advanced and inevitable. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I'm Guy Swan and this is Bitcoin Audible. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we have got a great piece today from Bitcoin Magazine uh, and uh, Tibald Marichal. Uh, again, I'm still hoping I got this name right. I super apologize to him if I keep murdering this thing. Uh, but uh, it's a new great piece from him, which we have uh, covered, I think, two pieces of his on the show. Uh, but it is the great plague of shitcoinery, uh, which I think is just kind of funny. It's a, it's a great article and uh, goes right in line with the release of Shitcoin Insider, our new podcast, which if you have not subscribed to and listened to the, uh, the flagship episode, you got to go do that. Check out Shitcoin Insider on your favorite podcast app. The next episode will not be in this feed, so you gotta go find it. But a quick thank you before we get into our article to Hexa Wallet. They have got a really, really great wallet, and I just actually uh, finally did my first batched transaction the other day. I sent uh, coins to both my savings, a, uh, a multi-sig that I have that's separate, and a Lightning Wallet to my BTC Pay server at the same time in a batch transaction incredibly simply. Literally all I had to do was just keep scanning uh, QR codes by hitting add recipient or of course I could just select my contacts which I have a number of now thanks to all you guys who are downloading Hexa um, and uh, feel free again um, to uh, hit me up if you want me to be a contact or you want me to be a part of your backup. It's super simple and uh, just a really, really fun wallet. I've been enjoying it a lot. So thank you for the wallet to Hexa Wallet and, of course, for uh, supporting the show. If you want to check that out, that is at hexawallet.io. So let's get into Marichal's uh, piece on Bitcoin, a magazine, The Great Plague of Shitcoinery and The Inescapable Ravage of Modern Seniorage. Originally, seigneurage came from the old French language, stemming from the right of the lord, seigneur, to mint money, profiting tremendously from money creation. It was a bygone prerogative of lords and the crown to extract a fee, the, quote, brassage, from the bullion brought to the mint to be coined or to be exchanged for coins that would be used for commerce. Individuals could bring their precious metals, usually silver and gold, and the crown's mint would stamp a coin out of the metal to be accepted by merchants. This privilege was exclusively reserved for armed elites with legislative and executive powers. Today, seigniorage is a common way for governments around the world to generate revenue without levying conventional taxes, 
which are less popular with their electorates. The modern lords of money printing are central banks working in tandem with commercial banks and governments issuing debt in a fractional reserve banking system. National fiat currencies, such as the U.S. dollar, euro, or yen, are protected by legal tender laws, meaning they are recognized as an appropriate instrument to settle any monetary debt in some jurisdiction. It is also typically demanded that residents of the respective territories use these currencies to pay their taxes and trade in the country. Fiat currencies are only used because people have no other choices that are legally available. Under the fiat monetary system, the cost of currency issuance is close to zero, which is very profitable for the national issuers, as there is no longer any limit on the quantity of money that can be created, further shrinking the value of the existing currency in circulation and annihilating the purchasing power of the currency holders, people like you and me. Monopolies Vanish Enter Bitcoin in 2008, revealed to the world as an open-source monetary mint divorced from any central control in a dark corner of a cypherpunk internet forum. Just as Johannes Gutenberg pierced through the church-controlled monopoly of written knowledge by inventing the printing press, Satoshi Nakamoto annihilated the state-controlled monopoly of money production. While Gutenberg's invention eventually unlocked the siècle des Lumières with an unfathomable amount of intellectual and cultural rebirth, Nakamoto's invention may lead to even more radical societal upheaval. Language and money are both essential ways by which humans collaborate peacefully and ought to be free from central manipulation. As free markets are cleansed of artificial constraining forces, Productive individuals and businesses may discover novel ways to bring about freedom, peace, and prosperity to our fellow human beings. But that is outside the scope of this article. With a reasonably short existence of only slightly over 10 years, Bitcoin is oftentimes characterized as old technology, which has already become obsolete. Many narratives were constructed around the Internet's native monetary protocol, in an effort to give legitimacy to alternative competing offerings supplied by private companies and individuals. Are these projects genuinely competing with Bitcoin on the premise of their monetary superiority? What makes a money valuable? And can a money that is digital ever be trustworthy and reliable? Is the current paradigm around fiat currencies and alternative digital currencies, colloquially shitcoins, that different? If Bitcoin is only getting started in its monetization as a money for the people by the people, what are potential avenues of evolution in the next 10 to 20 years? Is shitcoinery a novel phenomenon, or is history simply repeating itself? Could shitcoinery be an overhyped technology bubble fed by greed, high time preference, and the wrong technology heuristics? In this brief essay, we will try to dissect the fundamentally flawed nature of alternative digital currencies, observe Bitcoin as a pragmatic monetary evolution, in contrast to shitcoinery's, quote, technology revolution narratives, and will attempt to demonstrate that Bitcoin is not only the only genuine possibility of divorcing money from the state, but that this paradigm shift is already quite advanced 
and inevitable. An old demon. Still unbeknownst to most, alongside acting as a society-altering force for good, Bitcoin also revived a multi-millennium phenomenon on a global scale. The irresistible desire of a select few to control money production. As has history proved repeatedly in many distinct cultures and territories, controlling money production is extraordinarily profitable for the issuer. It is now easier than ever to become a money producer and distribute it to many millions, if not billions, of people. To this day, more than 7,000 alternative digital currencies have been created and counting, claiming their pseudo-monetary superiority to Bitcoin, or outright defrauding uneducated buyers with fake narratives. Creating an alternative, quote, cryptocurrency today only takes a few minutes, which severely diminishes the barrier of entry for money producers. Armed with cunning marketing discourse, global distribution platforms on the internet, and sometimes fraudulent artificial market manipulations, these, quote, cryptocurrency issuers can trick individuals, businesses, and investors into believing their worthlessness. Most of these projects, if not all, are misguided or directly coordinated scams on a global scale that is causing pain. The global market value of alternative cryptocurrencies equates to roughly $100 billion at the time of this writing, which represents a material malinvestment from developers, entrepreneurs, researchers, and investors. Only one class of people benefit from shitcoinery in the long term. Scammers leveraging information asymmetry in the marketplace. Let's be clear. Free market participants should be allowed to build businesses on whatever they please, as long as fraud is out of the equation and consistently called out. Gambling within cryptocurrency exchanges, commonly referred to as shitcoin casinos, has been one of the most profitable business models around Bitcoin but was rarely qualified with the right amount of risk disclosures to market participants. Hiding information from consumers buying products and services is the real issue at heart. No amount of regulatory oversight will prevent consumers from being defrauded until people understand that the market for money is unique. The market for monies is the only market in the world that is a zero-sum game and is simultaneously winner-take-all in terms of the eventual dominant form of money. Someone has to lose on one side of the trade, and because money makes up 50% of every single transaction globally, broken money markets can be a massive problem, which emanates severe negative consequences. A Storm of Confusion Global Disinformation Traditional market distress and financially squeezed young generations crumbling under the burden of debt are a favorable combination for the legitimization of shitcoinery. Fake information and outright lies about the promise behind alternative digital currencies are predominant, with gatekeepers manipulating the masses of retail consumers who are uneducated about financial services and monetary history. With a rising distrust in legacy financial markets, Digital native generations, Gen Z and Millennials most notably, are turning a blind eye to legacy banking and want an out quickly. 
Under the habits of the nanny state, entitled generations are removed from self-responsibility, thinking they can make it big overnight and turn out a quick profit to retire at 25. With fragile economic fundamentals, recent retail-led stock market maniac run-ups have been another striking example of such phenomena. Shitcoinery appeals to the inner, most nefarious human trait from which most are too proud to admit they suffer. Greed. Greed can rot the mind and turn an honest person into a short-sighted, self-serving, and mindless sheep, following the herd that is getting rich without them. Greed originates from our internal fear of facing an uncertain future. And shitcoinery is the glass from which one drinks the brew of aspirational eternity, promising a delusional abundance of wealth, a complete mirage. Without diving into the technicalities of multiple implementations of shitcoins, it appears correct to postulate that most, if not all, of these cryptocurrencies, networks, protocols, or outright Ponzi schemes are flawed by design. The fundamental axiom of trust lies in pure decentralization, which is an inescapable binary measure, and not a spectrum, as most shitcoiners would preach. A system is decentralized, or it is centralized. Centralization can oscillate on a spectrum with relative distribution, such as master and slave relationships in a computer network, but that is irrelevant to the subject at hand. Closing the loop, most developers working on shitcoins have immeasurable control over the monetary policy of their implementations, which requires trust, a requirement that was nullified by Bitcoin more than 10 years ago. A tweet from Plan B. This tweet got more attention than expected. If this info is new or surprising, you were probably new to Bitcoin. Key takeaway, governments do attack Bitcoin. Only reason Bitcoin survives where all predecessors and altcoins fail is its peer-to-peer -peer decentralized design. No central server. If you want to know more about Bitcoin, the deep stuff, study its history, cypherpunks, digicash, hashcash, bitgold, bittorrent, etc. And follow the right people. Not those three above or their obvious friends. This chart is a really good start. Just follow the white rabbit. In tweet. A brutal monetary Darwinism. Bitcoin was published as an attempt to construct a global monetary mint using the internet, cryptography, network computing, and systems infrastructure. Nothing is new in Bitcoin, and most technologies used to build and run the protocol have been around for multiple decades. Everything was battle-tested before. A common misconception is assuming that Bitcoin is the first attempt at creating digital cash. Many more attempts came to life in the past and subsequently perished. Whether it is e-gold, digicash, Liberty Reserve, or b-money, many implementations were developed over the years, each adding their contributions to the edifice that is Bitcoin. The fundamental difference between Bitcoin and shitcoins lies in its absolute decentralized nature, its immaculate conception, and its mysterious inventor. Bitcoin has no head to chop, no management team to bully, and no central point of failure. It adapts to its environment, as hostile as it can get, and gets more resilient with protocol updates that respect its uncompromising assurances. 
Bitcoin is akin to a living organism trying to survive the test of time, the purest form of universal anti-fragility. Quote, The genius of Bitcoin in inventing a digital currency successful in the real world is not in creating any new abstruse mathematics or cryptographic breakthrough, but in putting together decades-old pieces in a semi-novel but extremely unpopular way reads an influential 2011 essay on the technology. Everything Bitcoin needed was available for many years, including the key ideas. End quote. Battles in the money market aren't about incremental technology features, but fundamental monetary properties. Bitcoin is a pragmatic monetary evolution which contrasts with shitcoin issuers misrepresenting a delusional technology revolution. Shallow narratives around, quote, decentralizing the web or, quote, fixing supply chain traceability are promoted as substitutes to failed attempts to legitimize some projects in the field, which are doomed to fail at birth. Often unnecessary complexity is used to confuse people and leverage the greed factor we discussed previously. Money, as one type of good, different from consumer and capital goods, competes over soundness, which is a combination of objective properties that make a neutral, good, useful medium to be usable as money. The single best money is a good that is completely useless for any other thing, which has no intrinsic value, and that's great. Besides the monetary premium it accrues from its monetization, people realize naturally that a monetary good is a trustworthy mechanism to store, exchange, and measure value. The Austrian economics school of thought would disagree with this premise, defending the argument behind the regression theorem, but that is a debate for another time. Shitcoins promote get-rich-quick schemes with incredible returns and shallow narratives by moving fast and breaking things defending the unattainable morality that competition in free markets must exist to let participants freely choose what is best for them. Controversial in the field, this position should trivially be refuted by the simple axiom of truth. Lies are fraud. Fraud is theft, and theft should not happen. Bitcoin appeals to individuals with low time preferences which is to say individuals who think long-term and want to find safety in sats. One Bitcoin is divisible into 100 million Satoshis. Bitcoin is not a get-rich-quick scheme, but a don't-get-poor-slowly one, acting as a weapon of defense against the world's most singular evil, monetary inflation. Tweet by Matt O'Dell Sats are my safe haven. Think long-term, choose Bitcoin and opt out. Be greedy and find the evils of high time preference and degenerate gambling, which have been rotting the hearts, souls, and minds of humans since the dawn of time. In the end, there is no escaping it. Bitcoin is inevitable, and shitcoins will perish in a brutal monetary Darwinism. Choose wisely. All right. And that was a great piece, again, by Thibault Marichal uh, from Bitcoin Magazine, The Great Plague of Shitcoinery. And there's a lot of great stuff to unpack in this piece. Um, some things I, I want to push back on, but some things that I think are just 
amazingly well said for just no nonsense hitting the core of the argument. And there's so much excusing and trying to like reframe the reason for these things and twisting it to, oh, you hate the free market and all this stuff. And I think, you know, this is the story. You know, this is the story of 99.9% of what is out there. And I want to dig into this. And I also want to kind of hit a little bit. A couple of people asked me recently about like the history of shit coins and altcoins and like where this came from and how it kind of started. Um, because a bunch of people don't know. You know, I've been here the whole time before any of these coins actually existed when Bitcoin was the only one. So I'm going to kind of give a brief overview of how this played out and how did we get here and like what, what I think uh, a lot of uh, the foundation of these things were. But before we do, I want to talk to you about one thing and then we will jump into it. For many of us in our own journeys, and particularly after finding Bitcoin, it becomes very clear how much school either never taught us or how many of those things were just wrong. That is where Tom Wood's Liberty Classroom comes in. There are so many great teachers in this set of courses and uh, monthly live sessions even and forums to learn with others in the community. The number of courses here is just crazy and they are still adding more. You can learn the truth of U.S. and Western history, about the history of political and economic thought over thousands of years, take a class on logic that teaches you how to think rather than what to think, and my personal favorite, a class that goes through the entirety of the traditional economics textbook, teaches it, and then explains where it is misleading or outright wrong, and exactly why. Liberty Classroom is the best place to learn the economics and history that public school never taught you, or that fed you nonsense about. Go to guyswan.com liberty, and you will also help support this show. I've been a consumer of Liberty Classroom for a long time, and I know you guys will love it too. So Guy Swan, and that's swan with two N's, guyswan.com liberty. So one of the most, uh, the most salient arguments in this piece and the thing that I stress so much whenever I get the opportunity is that this is an evolution in monetary goods as a monetary technology and system. That is where Bitcoin has, a, has been an unbelievable breakthrough. From a technological perspective, it is actually a bunch of old technology. And that's where like all of these like Ethereum and all of these other like blockchains that think they're, you know, going to invent a new hashing algorithm or something are completely missing the point as to the profound innovation at work here. If you are not focused on completely and realizing the unbelievable central importance of the monetary policy, then you've completely missed the entire game. This is about securing independently of political institutions a monetary institution, one in the digital realm, no less. This has never happened in human history. And I'm told by, you know, Ethereum heads or whatever that 
um, that you know, the, you know, like all the smart contracts and the payments and all this stuff. These are services. These are not part of the monetary system. These have nothing to do with the policy. In fact, these are things that actually threaten the monetary medium. And if you don't know what the monetary policy is, this is something that's crazy. As I've been told by uh, people in Ethereum that uh, ETH2 or you know some of these other, like the, um, uh, the miners are going to uh, change the limits or whatever and the issuance is going to change and they don't know exactly to what but that there's this possibility that if ETH2 ever actually comes about it would be more sound money than Bitcoin because it will have like an almost a tiny almost non-existence issuant existent issuance schedule um, whereas Bitcoin is still just having and I'm like you're and, and it's so so fully misses the point is that you just admitted you don't know what the monetary policy is. You just admitted that it's politically decided, that it's going to just arbitrarily change in the future. That is the opposite of soundness. The fact that it is a sound money isn't just because it has a low inflation rate. It's that it has an inflation rate that cannot change, that isn't decided by some group of developers or a company or anything like that. It is wholly a money in and of itself, and anyone trying to change it is going to get kicked out, and that there is no way to do so. The fact that you think that there's going to be an upgrade that's going to make it quote-unquote, more sound, it's going to make, make it less inflationary, is proof that it's not sound at all. Because its monetary policy is just arbitrary. It's just whatever you think is most useful at this point in time. So if immediately after doing that, suddenly Ethereum isn't secure because people aren't staking or mining or whatever it is, and the rate goes down and suddenly it's not as secure, well, you turn right back around and put inflation in it. It's not an independent monetary instrument, and nobody in it is even concerned or thinks about this. This is something that like, I bring this up with people all the time, and they're talking about smart contracts and DeFi and new tokens and how look at the volume and all this crap. And I'm like, what about the money? What about the money? What have you done to ensure that the monetary policy is predictable, defendable, and that no one in the world could possibly change it? And it's an afterthought. It's not even part of the discussion when that is the very thing that makes this technology so impactful. So if you're coming in not realizing the monetary history, not understanding the scale of monetary goods, the, the time scale that these things develop and, uh, and shift on, we're talking about decades and centuries here. These are not... This is not an app that's just going to be replaced. These are network, these are communication mediums. This is, Bitcoin is not, Bitcoin is not old technology that we just have to worry about, oh my God, it's going to get replaced by the next new thing because, uh, you know, Netscape isn't as good as this new browser or whatever it is. This is not what, this is, has absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin. And I think making those comparisons fundamentally misunderstand what's uh what is being changed this is not some fancy new technology that is going to be replaced by some slightly fancier technology this is a new monetary medium independent of anything and 
exists solely on the internet in a digital form that is defensible against all adversaries. It does not matter if it has no other feature because that one feature is revolutionary from the context of thousands of years of monetary history. So uh, before we get into kind of some of the specifics about this article, I want to talk, a, kind of give a brief history of uh, shitcoinery um, and talk about when uh, that term kind of came to be and what it was really like in the early days. So the first real altcoin in the space was Namecoin. And there were, there were actually a, a bunch of little like crappy projects um, very early on that didn't really make it far and they never had any of the hype. The, the whole altcoin and shitcoin hype took a very long time. It wasn't until um, the flood of like kind of ignorant or normie retail investors, and I don't mean that derogatory, it just... I think that's just a flat fact um, uh, that there was this flood of people who had no, no idea what they were getting into and saw this as some huge technological revolution. Um, and here's this new toy that they get to play with and they want to get the toy that's shiniest and has the most interesting curves and blah, blah, blah. Uh, that really didn't happen until late 2016 and really 2017. I mean, everybody knows that was the year of this. But there were little blips. Um, that happened really on, early on. Namecoin was the first one, but right out the bat, it was actually the the coins that popped up or the projects that popped up actually seemed like they had some legitimate use. They were trying to do something new with this consensus network. Like Namecoin was an attempt at a DNS network that was uh, distributed, you know, that was like where, um, I mean, this was actually not too far off from a early decentralized version of a DNS that somebody tried to mock up and it was like, oh my God, wait, we can use this Bitcoin technology to fund it by creating its own monetary token that would then reward the creation or the, the housing of this data. Uh, so it was actually interesting. And, you know, they were called altcoins back then. I think there was some general skepticism. I was at least very interested in Namecoin. I thought it was an interesting use of the, the technology. Um, and wondered if, you know, maybe it could work. Uh, but then they just kind of started to continue to flood in. And increasingly, they got more and more uh, pushback. Um, and more importantly, uh, it was funny, there were a couple of characteristics that would get you called a scam outright very, very quickly, which was super obvious as to why, um, is that... Uh, uh, huge pre-mines that came in before so that like they would release the coin or they would create it for themselves and then mine a crap ton of coins um, and, uh, uh, and then basically release it. And this was an obvious, obvious, I mean, this was hugely denounced like right at the beginning because one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin was the completely fair and open launch and the fact that Satoshi having, even having mind and kept the network alive by himself didn't you know basically just left the coins the coins are just essentially dead on the network and there was in, when those first run-ups happened in like 2010 and 11 and like there were it was finally getting on the scene and it was like wow people made a lot of money with this the desire to turn around like that the thing that uh uh Marichal is talking about through this whole article is the seniorage of being able to make money at low cost 
it was so immediate, immediate that people were like, oh my God, I could make a new coin and we could get in back when Bitcoin was pennies. Like that was the drive for all of it. And that was what the, the, the very earliest mention of shitcoin is on the Bitcoin talk forums. And I'm going to read the post real quick. Is that uh, uh, it's, a, it's a quote from uh, uh, Gavin Andreessen. It says, it would have to be better in some way other than just, I started the new chain, so I've got a lot of the easy to generate at the beginning coins. And he's, Gavin is, I think, naively basically claiming that no, you couldn't just repeat, you, just, you couldn't just copy paste Bitcoin and uh, get people to adopt it. And this person, uh, Rybuck, uh, is uh, claiming the opposite. It says, quote, you say that now, but if Bitcoin really takes off, I can see lots of get-rich-quick imitators coming on the scene. Gitcoin, Nitcoin, Witcoin, Titcoin, Shitcoin. Some of them are just sure to attract users with promises like, why use Bitcoin where you can only generate 50 Bitcoins every few months? Use Shitcoin instead and you'll get 51 Shitcoins every two minutes. Of course, the cheap imitators will disappear as quickly as those in the 1990s internet currencies like flus and beans, but lots of people will get burned along the way. End quote. This was obvious out the gate. People knew what was going to happen. You can see the incentives. It's too easy to copy-paste money and be like, look, here is this thing that even if it's not worth anything, if it's worth a little bit, look how much money you can make because we can invent money for free and we can give ourselves millions of them. And if you just pay a couple of pennies, we have done nothing and we've made bukus. This is seniorage. This is the power to make something that costs nothing at all and make massive amounts of real value off of it. I cannot think of a single greater pull against human greed than that. This is the very reason decentralized money is so critical. It is an unbelievable economic power to be able to create something for nothing and obtain and to get value back out of it. And the power to do this with money, with the actual money of an economy, the political power to uh, basically print at will is a godlike power. It is the ability to consume anything and everything in practically any amount from the economy and never have to give anything in return. You give points. You give fake points that you are the one who has the ability to just create out of thin air for real value produced by anyone in the economy. That is the single great vulnerability of the last three centuries. And arguably a massive vulnerability of all monetary instruments since the beginning of time. There's always been ways to manipulate it. And this is what Bitcoin has solved, potentially, and what shitcoins are diving headfirst back into. But that post um, from the Bitcoin talk forums was back in 2010. And I didn't realize until, uh, is right before 2011, it's at the very end of 2010. I didn't realize that was actually the first use of the word, but it wasn't popular back then. I don't think I heard it for a couple of years. Um, uh, Litecoin was kind of questionable. And then it was like, what was it, 2015, I think it was, um, when Ethereum was launched. But 
it got a lot of pushback from Bitcoiners. And it wasn't because, you know, Litecoin was actually kind of welcomed, even though a lot of people seem to think, I mean, myself included, I was like, oh, well, this is, this is kind of fun. Um, but I was, I was also kind of like, what's the point of this one? Because it was literally a copy paste with like a couple of parameter changes. And this was becoming pretty common at that point where it's like, oh, another coin. Oh, okay. Another coin. Like we were really starting to stack those numbers up at this point. And then we're getting into 2014 and 15, like as this progressed. Um, and I still think we were, it was largely referred to as altcoins, even though we would call out, it's like, dude, this has got a huge pre-mine. This is ridiculous. This is a scam. Um, but there was this attempt to separate something that felt like a legitimate project versus something that was clearly someone just being a piece of crap, lying and trying to defraud people. Then Ethereum came along, and this was probably the one that broke all of the rules and somehow skirted through the, the cracks. Is that a pre-mine was considered the biggest, like the scammiest of scam uh, things in, uh, in, in like creating these currencies. And uh, Ethereum was was it for like pre-mines not only was it a quote-unquote pre-mine it was it was the first quote-unquote like ico they did a pre-sale back in like a year prior that went to founders and developers and inside investors they basically just created this group that was going to get all these new tokens uh for this thing and they minted 72 or 75 I think it's like 72 million ether, which was more than half of, uh, it's more than, it's still more than half today of the entire coin supply. It's like 60% or something like that. And then of course it was sold as a, oh, better than Bitcoin. This was going to fix all the problems with Bitcoin. And uh, this was really the first one. Well, I guess, I guess the first one that got a lot of attention for it maybe but that literally sold itself as Bitcoin was dead and Bitcoin couldn't work and Ethereum fixes, fixes all of it, uh, Bitcoin's problems. So this one really checked all the boxes for a uh, ridiculous scam and, uh, and was so clearly and blatantly like we don't even want to open this up to people to freely mine it because that would limit how many of our own early get them for free coins that we could possibly uh that we could get out of this network i mean they just created they just created coins in their own accounts for how much they felt they wanted like this was this was the greed of seniorage like no other at the time and now it's been repeated and copied over and over and like this is just kind of somehow the policy we went from any sort of pre-mine where people would get lambasted for pre-mining a couple of blocks to just like, oh yeah, let's just issue the developers and initial investors to have a, uh, let's do 70% of all the tokens that will ever exist. Why not? No big deal. It's for the good of the project that we have to make so much money. Which is ironic that Satoshi felt the exact opposite, that to leave the money and to not take any of it and to leave the project was what was good for the project specifically knowing that the the goal was an independent money and that having 
developers having quote-unquote owners or creators of this thing was actually a massive single point of failure and that at all costs, it should not exist. That even at the cost of knowing who he is and being part of the project, that the only way to keep it safe is to leave and, uh, and leave all of the uh, originally mined coins untouched or burned. That is how different those mindsets are. But the claim, one of the things that really gets me is the constant claim of like, oh, we have to have free markets. It's like, well, duh. Like, the market will decide what is the best money. Um, and as long as these things are independent from the state, as long as Bitcoin is independent from political institutions and jurisdictions, it will actually be able to compete. Like, that's the whole goal, is that gold is a better money, but it's too centralized. It's too easy to control from a monopolic, monopolistic institution like the state, and therefore, its physicality is actually why it uh, failed as money. The fact that that's, that's why we use fiat money today is because we can't, we can actually cannot maintain the economy that we have with gold. And the only way to actually do it is to create a digital representation, which requires trust, which creates central points of failure, which are controlled by the state. Again, seniorage is impossible to stop. It is too powerful of an incentive and it will be controlled by those with any authority to do so. But therein lies one of the most important misunderstandings of this, and there's a great quote from this article. It says, quote, No amount of regulatory oversight will prevent consumers from being defrauded until people understand that the market for money is unique. The market for monies is the only market in the world that is a zero-sum game and is simultaneously winner-take-all in terms of the eventual dominant form of money, end quote. And this is one of those things. The, the reason a money is a good money, is if it is sound money, the reason it plays the role of money is as a universal communicator. It solves the double coincidence of wants problem, but it literally, necessarily, cannot do that if we are using multiple monies. That will not be the case. That is simply not what money is or how it works. To have multiple monies is to not solve the double coincidence of wants problem. The only way that can be maintained is through political jurisdictions and restrictions by monopolized authorities. It's legal tender laws, it's regulation, it's the requirement to take this currency in repayment of debts. It's violent and political force that is the only reason we have many currencies today. As soon as markets start to converge, they will also converge on the same money. And notice, as we have become more and more of a global market, the vast majority of trade is still just the dollar. We technically do have one currency to some extent. 80% of it is denominated in dollars. 80% of trade globally is denominated in dollars. 80% of debt is denominated in dollars. And even a bunch of quote-unquote separate fiat currencies are backed by dollars. So they are worth or they have value only because of how many supposed dollars the central bank is holding. 
even despite all of the regulations, the legal tender laws, and the political jurisdictions, we do basically have one money. And for a global economy, this is necessarily the case. This is just the outcome of a communication medium. One of my favorite articles on this is by uh, Willem Vandenberg, and it's uh, on shelling points, network effects, and Lindy. Uh, Still one of my favorite episodes that just, our favorite reads and episodes on the show, um, that just hits those fundamental elements of uh, all the most powerful network effects and why there is really no competitor to Bitcoin, and this is not at all the thing that so many people in quote-unquote crypto make it out to be. This is not a competition of features or gadgets or NFTs or who has the most used crypto kitties or anything like that. Like, that's not what this competition is. This is a competition for most sound, reliable, independent money. And in that competition, there is a very clear outlier, and the free market has also clearly chosen it as the dominant player. I mean, sometimes it amazes me how many people are like, oh, the free market will decide, but then you turn around and show that Bitcoin is dominant, and it's like, oh, well, that's just because the market is stupid. It's like, you can't, you can't rely on the market as your principle to claim against Bitcoin and then ignore what the market is clearly deciding. And I think the only way you can come to that conclusion is to misunderstand what the market is deciding on. Michael Saylor does a great job of uh, explaining this, is why he thinks, uh, I think he mentioned it in, uh, he briefly hit on it in my interview, which by the way is actually available on YouTube now. Uh, I've never actually said anything about this, but I have a YouTube channel now, uh, Guy Swan, you can just look me up by my name. Um, and I've been trying to post, I got a new, uh, really fun intro to the show and I've got Michael Saylor's interview up there. Um, and I've got, uh, more coming on the way, lots of videos that I've been kind of working on in the background and hopefully we'll have done soon. Um, but, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, totally forgot to just kind of mention that I didn't even really brought it up with anybody. Um, luckily some people are bumping into it, but, uh, yeah, check that out. Guy Swan on YouTube. But Michael Saylor really gets into this uh, some in my episode or my interview with him. And I think in I think it's Pompliano's interview with him um, or Raul uh, Paul's maybe. I don't know. He did so many good ones. Um, but uh, one of them he talks about, like, I don't want to hear about your new features. I don't want to hear about next year's monetary policy. Like, those things scare me. Those things are things where I know this is not a secure money and this is not independent. I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't want to hear about block size changing. I want to hear about the fact that it is stable, that it is working exactly as it is, and that it is the same money that it was five years ago. Something along those lines. Um, But, uh, you know, that's how he has the confidence to put $425 million into Bitcoin and has absolutely no intent to do this with Ethereum or any other, you know, any of the many, many shit coins out there. I mean, to say that you can add all of these features very quickly is basically bragging about how centralized it is, is that you don't need very many people's consent or uh, you don't really need consensus with a broad, diverse network in order to make fundamental changes. If we're talking about changing the monetary policy, what is comforting is when you hear about how ridiculously insane and impossible it is to get anything done in this way and to touch anything with consensus code. 
You've probably heard people say it, but the fact that Taproot is really difficult, even though it's an incredibly minor change, even though it's very few lines of code, and that it's within a uh, kind of a sandboxed part of the code where we know that only people using, it's not threatening anything else. We're not changing any of the other consensus code. The fact that that is hard to implement is great news. That should be a high confidence builder. That is talking about exactly how decentralized and how secure the monetary policy in the consensus network actually is. And there's another quote from this article, uh, from a great article that we've read on the show, actually. Um, I recognized it, but I wasn't 100% sure about it. I clicked on it. They've got the link to it. Um, but it is. It's Bitcoin is worse is better. Um, amazing article, and it's talking about the whole... Uh, the Linux, like uh, New Jersey style open source software, how uh, rather than making everything perfect and all the features and everything, what you want to do is you make the absolute, absolute most fundamental um, base tools, um, but make them work, make them work uh, absolutely and make them work as best as possible and ignore all the features, ignore all the other fun stuff that you want to have and try to iterate and build those things out as time goes on, but release the base thing when it works as is, and then let essentially the open source community collaborate and iterate. And sooner or later, after many, many years and uh, possibly decades of development, you finally get 90% of what you wanted, but 90% that is sound, 90% that is secure and uh, scalable and all this stuff. Um, just kind of the open source ethos in general, how the um, the concept is very different, or the, I guess the framing, the development framing is very different from the corporate structure, which is how do we get a new feature that we can sell to people and market, uh, like features, 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 don't worry about the foundation, don't reiterate on the foundation, and you get all this technical bloat, and eventually it has to collapse and then get revamped or uh, redone. Um, but yeah, so that is Bitcoin is worse is better. Great article. And here's the quote. Quote, the genius of Bitcoin in inventing a digital currency successful in the real world is not in creating any new abstruse mathematics or cryptographic breakthrough, but in putting together decades-old pieces in a semi-novel but extremely unpopular way, reads an influential 2011 essay on the technology. Everything Bitcoin needed was available for many years, including the key ideas end quote. So I think I said, I think I said abstruse there. Um, it's abstruse. I'm keep, I, I, that word gets me. I keep confusing it with ob, obtuse, I guess maybe, but this is a great article and, uh, a great point on like what Bitcoin is, is that Bitcoin is not a technological revolution. It is a revolution of consensus systems. Every piece of it is actually really old. It's finding a new way, a way to use these um, secure and reliable tools, these tools that have been around for a long time that we know work. This is one of those things that leads to Bitcoin's assurances, leads to the security and reliability of the system, is that rather than inventing something new that we don't know if it's going to be secure or if it's going to work, especially in the realm of cryptography where... There is no proof of security or proof of difficulty, I guess you could say. The best we can do are assumptions and then give it the test of time. 
let people beat the hell out of it for decades. And if it survives, well, then now we've got a relatively secure algorithm. That's how we do it. So Bitcoin's power and uh, independence is built upon the fact that it's not using new technologies. Another way, the shitcoin paradigm has completely lost the plot. They go for greater complexity, more... I mean, they're, they're not doing the New Jersey-style, open-source style. They're going for the marketing. They're going for the, how can I slap some new feature on it? How can I say my blocks are so much bigger than these blocks over here? They're, they're looking for the next high-time preference thing that they can shove onto people that people will blindly buy and not realize that simple is secure, that the less complexity it has, the more we know it is independent and the more we know it's reliable and will last for the long term and the better it is to iterate on. If it's simple, well, then the base layer will, will work as advertised. We don't have to worry about confusing or bizarre smart contracts or um, some incredibly huge attack surface where, you know, just in a couple of years, we might find out that somebody can just do something insane and just wipe out everybody's coins, like in the Dow on Ethereum. And then we just get exposed. We just get another broadcast thing about how centralized it is. It's like, oh, well, we'll, we'll just roll back the whole thing. We'll just make sure that because the wrong people lost a shit ton of coins, we'll just give it back to them because we have the master keys and good luck, everybody else. And this is, this is common throughout all of it. Like, all the DeFi stuff, they've been freezing uh, balances. Um, like, none of this stuff is D of the Fi. Like, none of it's decentralized. If you can freeze accounts, if you can move coins, or you can lock coins, necessarily means it's just not. It's just not independent. It's not decentralized. And we just saw this the other day. There was a huge hack, and tons of these networks, there's like a whole list of them. I don't even remember where I was reading it. I, I, I think I saved it somewhere. Um, I'm not going to be able to find it quickly, though, so I'll have to leave it out because already, I'm already late in the day here. Um, but there just tons of these networks, tons of these quote-unquote decentralized finance tokens just started freezing. Just started freezing accounts and balances all over the place. Marketing that as decentralized is a lie. It's a lie. Somebody is controlling it. Somebody has the master key. Somebody has the button that turns accounts off. That is completely at odds with what decentralized means and what it's actually good for. And for those who don't see the difference, they don't understand that fundamental mentality, how vastly different the perspectives of those two things are, of, depend of independently defending a monetary policy against any and all adversaries, on a decentralized network that is near impossible to change and to not move fast and break things, to move slow and make sure nothing ever breaks, to not add frivolous features because we want to secure money, not some product or gadget with a whole bunch of wingdings and gambling tokens. This reminds me of uh, uh, Beautyon's article on, what is it, like Mission Critical software or something engineering oh crap hold on a second let me look it up here i'll just pause it really quick it'll take me a second ah okay bitcoin and software reliability uh another one of my favorites from the olden days uh and highly highly recommended um uh, but this is just talking about the engineering mindset and why less features is good like you know you don't put you, you don't 
make the software that's going to take the that's going to work the infrastructure the main life uh life support systems in the shuttle you don't make it so that you can just install apps on that and you don't connect it to the internet and text message over it like like that is that's your life support system that is the system that is a firmware of a mission critical thing where everyone dies if something goes wrong you make it as hardened as humanly possible from an engineering perspective and that is bitcoin and therein lies so much of the difference between bitcoin and all of these other shit coins and the reason they exist is because somebody wanted to make a money that they could print for free and get real value out of they exist because of greed and that is the simple truth of the matter a huge thank you to Maricho for writing this article uh, another huge thank you to Bitcoin Magazine and, of course, HexaWallet for uh, making just a really cool, uh, fun wallet. And I'm really excited. They've got a Keeper uh, app that's coming soon. It's going to be a secondary security measure and be a, a watch-only wallet that will also let you back up your keys. And I'm really excited about this because this should really simplify the backup process, which is one of the cool things about HexaWallet. So thank you to them. Thank you to my patrons and everybody out there. This is Bitcoin Audible. The future is brighter than you can imagine. We have the first independent sound money in the digital realm, and we're not going to lose it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, take it easy, guys. This has been a 111 production, and you were listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.